Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Right. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We are pleased to be with you again today. We actually had a hiatus last week, and so I've missed Bruce last week, and I'm really excited to also be joined by the wonderful and remarkable doctor, or doctor, well, you're a doctor as well now, a rabbi, uh, Daniel Lappin. A bishop to you. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're going to just add in some additional titles. So if you have been on the show with us before at The Money Advantage, you may know that Rabbi Lappin is a repeat. titles. So if you have sorry, Rachel. I thought that was me. All right. No, that's me. Then you will know that we've had Rabbi on several times, I think seven to be exact. And he's a friend of the show. We have really learned tremendously from you, Rabbi, over the years. And we're bringing you back for multiple reasons. One, because of popular demand. Two, because you have tremendous wisdom to inject into every life circumstance. But Specifically right now, the time is just absolutely of the essence because you have just returned from being in Jerusalem during the most severe conflict between Israel and Palestine in our recent history. And you have not only experienced that firsthand, but you also have answers to really combat how do we see not only this particular conflict, but entire world challenges and how do we live in light of that. So I think we're just going to have a wonderful treat today on the show because Rabbi Lappin just brings a tremendous wealth of wisdom from ancient Jewish wisdom and from the Bible and really being able to unpack what that means in our culture, in our society today, but especially at this critical moment when we have a lot of challenges all around the world and conflicts and turmoil and crisis abroad. And you could even say, is it potentially more than just abroad? How do we respond? And so first, Rabbi, thank you so much for joining us again on the Money Advantage podcast. Oh, it's, it's an honor to be with you and Bruce. And uh, and I can't believe it's been as many times as you say, but each time flies by and uh, and uh, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you. Wonderful. Rabbi, if, we, if you don't mind, before we get started, I'd like to uh, pre-frame the conversation for our listeners. Um, you know, what we try to bring is some educational and some sanity to the world the best we can. And the first thing I want our listeners to understand is that if you think that we're living in a vacuum in just the United States um, in, in our new global economy, then you're, you're, you've kind of, you're kind of missing the boat. And then if you're also just worried about what's going on in your life without worrying what's going on in other people's lives, then I, I think you're also uh, missing the boat. And then finally, I'd like to point out that, you know, I've been consuming as much information as possible over this conflict. And the amount of misinformation that's out there, you should be questioning everything, including what Rachel and I and, and the rabbi says, you know, we encourage you to do your own research, but to question every single thing that you do, and then come to your own conclusion which uh, I think there's only one conclusion that you can come to if you're a rational, caring human being. Oh, that's excellent, Bruce. And 
Yes, I think the reason that this conversation, I mean, we're typically talking about money on the show. And certainly the the initial conversation we had with you, Rabbi, was around your book, Thou Shall Prosper. Biblical, I don't know the exact tagline, but it's biblical truths for... Um, Ten commandments for making money. There you go. So there is a tremendous alignment of everything that you talk about with ancient Jewish wisdom and your internal financial life and how you operate in a way to be successful. And so when we take that perspective out even further and say, what's happening in our world today, that can cause us to have scarcity and have fear and and shrink back and not be living our best life. So how do we then make money and how do we continue to prosper when there are conflicts and turmoil abounding. So so let's go ahead and first jump in, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little tiny bit of your background and and how you came to be in Israel at the time, obviously unknowing that there was a conflict um, afoot. Um, well, I'm usually in the, uh, the the process of writing. I'm either busy on a book or I'm planning out a new book or starting another book, whatever it is. And so I just find that uh, writing in Jerusalem is very, um, it's very inspirational. It's the only place I know where you can go and open your laptop in a coffee shop and um, and before very long, you're going to be embroiled in deep philosophical discussions with people at the adjoining tables because nobody minds their own business. They're any, you know, it's like a family, you see. And so, um, you know, somebody will say, what are you, what are you writing about? And I say, well, I'm, I'm writing a book called The Holistic You. Well, I'm editing, I'm coming to the end of it, and I'm getting ready. And what's that about? Well, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, you know, it explains that... Um, five major parts of our lives uh, act in unison with each other. And when we don't know it, we, uh, we run into trouble. And, um, and then, you know, some, somebody says, well, what do you mean? And I say, well, it's, uh, you know, that even things like um, finance and family, you would have thought if you spend time on one, it's at the cost of the other. It turns out not to be that way. And, um, and then I'm in an argument, and and I've got to explain it, and uh, and and it's just very stimulating. And so we generally spend uh, between four and six weeks a year um, in Israel, mostly in Jerusalem, and we've been we've been doing that um, oh uh, for a number of years already. And uh, and this year was no different. In fact, it was even a little bit more um, on target because. Uh, we have a grandson living in Israel, and it was going to be his bar mitzvah uh, oh. exactly at the time that we ordinarily go. And so this is terrific. We'll be able to celebrate with our daughter and her family and uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, that's that, that was the whole plan. And, uh, and you were also there for the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, right? yes. I, uh, I was the teacher for a... Um, a tabernacle retreat near Haifa, and um, actually in the wine town of Zichron Yaakov, and um, and so uh, so we were there for a week, and I'm teaching, and everything is good, and then after that um, we went to Jerusalem, and uh, and then after that we were going to go back north for for our family bar mitzvah, and then we'd come back to Jerusalem, and and I'd focus on writing. 
And it was in that first weekend towards the end of the holiday, it was in fact the last day of the holiday of tabernacles, um, that all of a sudden in the middle of service, um, the sirens went off. And this is very, very unusual. It hasn't happened in the Jerusalem area for a very long time. And uh, I sort of looked around and everybody shrugged and said, well, we'd better go to the uh, to the air raid shelter. And so we trudged down to, to the shelter, which obviously was dark and dusty and hadn't been used for a long time. And, um, and then uh, for the first time in my life ever, I saw the Iron Dome at work because I just got tired of sitting. I, it didn't make sense to me to be sitting in that, in that shelter. And then um, we, uh, we heard uh, the Iron Dome intercept a Palestinian missile. Mm. And um, it, it was, it was earth shaking and, uh, and, and quite incredible. At any rate, we still, we didn't know a whole lot, but we, 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 we saw that people were being called up. We saw that um, many guys were sort of just leaving or getting messages on their phones and, and taking off. And, uh, and that Sunday night in Jerusalem, uh, the next day, actually, Sunday. Saturday was um, eerie. Sunday Sunday was the Jerusalem I've never seen. Uh, this, this sort of takes me back to Jerusalem pre-67 when I was a kid at uh, Bible school in Jerusalem then. And um, Jerusalem back in those days before the 67 war was a very small, darkish, uh, dismal, you know, there wasn't a lot going on there. It's not, not what it is today at any rate. Uh, before very long, we began to have ideas that something had gone horribly, horribly wrong, and that the entire slogan that validates Israel, which is uh, a safe place for Jews, and the doctrine of the Israel Defense Force, which is wars must never be fought on Israeli territory. They have to be fought on enemy territory, and all of a sudden, all of that fell apart. So uh, so there we were. Mm. What a... A consequential time to be in Jerusalem. Yes, we were very, very aware that we're, and still now that we are living through historic times. Yes, and so um, there's so much that I'd like to ask you. We had sent you an email around that time to just check in and see how you and your yes, wife it, were doing, and uh, then we found out that you were in Jerusalem. Were you ever in fear of not being able to make it home? No, 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 not at all. Um, uh, El Al never stopped flying at all. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful airline. And um, uh, in fact, we wanted to, to delay our return. We, uh, we felt that by being there, we were, number one, you know, spending a dollar or two, so helping the economy in that way. And secondly, just by, um, by, by being around instead of taking off, we felt we could add a little bit to the morale. And so we didn't stay in our apartment. We made sure we were out in the streets or at restaurants or cafes, even though very few were open. But uh, we just felt that being there and being seen was a small, I mean, relatively insignificant part of the whole thing. But we felt it was better than leaving. So we stayed as long as we can. Rabbi, you know, this this um, situation is maybe the most confusing thing that a normal person outside of that area tries to understand. And is there any way that you, I mean, I know you're very good with your words. Is there any way that you can 
culminate the idea of why this is happening or why it is happening now, why it has happened in the past, this conflict. Is there any way to condense that into some talking points that our listeners can then go research and yeah. and uh, become sure. more informed? Yeah. Um, I don't want to sound glib about it because it, it is a complicated situation, but not nearly as complicated as people think. Um, let's say, first of all, what it is not. It is not a conflict over land. Uh, this, you know, this is rubbish you get from CNN. It simply is not a conflict over land. Conflicts over land can be resolved by a bureaucrat with a pencil and a map. This isn't that at all. Um, the uh, the offer of, of a two-state solution has been made numerous times. Um, there was a brutal massacre that, that killed uh, scores of people, very much like the one on October 7th, took place in 1929, long before there was the State of Israel, long before anybody was arguing. So you've got to sort of get that out of your mind. It's, uh, it's really not about land. Um, what it is is um, something very, very simple, which is that, Unlike Judaism and Christianity, which both of which have room in their worlds for other faiths, um, Islam doesn't. Now, I don't know why it's so hard for people to relate to that simple fact. Mm. I mean, you only have to listen to uh, Islamic teachers or if, you know, read the Quran, although I, I think it's better to listen to, to them explain it. And um, either way, you go, you'll see. Uh, Islam does not have room for other religions. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you wonder why in the summer of uh, 2015, I think it was, they uh, blew up scores of people in the London subway system. And these were, um, these were uh, British Muslims who had never been to the Middle East, had no business with the Middle East, uh, but their fight was with uh, with England as a, as a nation whose head is also the head of the church. It's a Christian nation. I mean, I, I, you know, I know the folks at Foggy Bottom at America's State Department have never ever been friends with or met a human being who would be willing to die for his God. But um, and so they think there are no people like that in the world. Mm-hmm. But that's that's just not true. Uh, the overwhelming majority of the world takes their God, whoever it is, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just uh, progressives in um, Georgetown that uh, that fail to understand this. So, uh, you know, starting in the 7th century, Muhammad started spreading the faith, and he used the sword. The choice was simple, become a Muslim or die. Mm. Now, you know, there was... A, there was obviously a period uh, when Catholicism uh, was spread, was the Crusades, and uh, the desire was to free the Holy Land from the infidel, from the Muslims. Um, but in in general, certainly you could say that, you know, for, for, for the last 700 years, um, nobody ever pointed a gun at your head and said, become a Christian or become a Jew. Right. But that's not true for Islam. So this is really a very, very simple thing. Uh, Furthermore, it's worthwhile remembering that one of the casualties of secularism 
one of the casualties of abolishing a God-centric worldview is a contracting of your window of time. Until you reach the ultimate of um, secular hedonism, which is only today matters. Mm -hmm. And so abortion is fine because who, you know, where you, you don't allow tomorrow to infringe on today. And it's fine to demolish and obliterate statues of the past and ignore books of the past because, again, uh, nothing in the past is as relevant to today. And, um, mm -hmm. and so that's really important. On the other hand, religions tend to encourage a very long-term worldview. So for Christians, you know, Christians would ask themselves, like, you know, what would Jesus do today? And that's a very, very real question. It's a real analysis. Um, Jews are as sensitive to the laws of Moses today as they were 3,300 years ago. Uh, time, past, present, and future uh, blur into a comprehensive reality. Now, uh, although the religion of Islam is very different from Judaism and Christianity, uh, it is a religion and it does expand the concept of time. And so for Muslims, uh, what happened hundreds of years ago is as important as what happened today. Uh, the split between Shia and Sunnis, which we won't go into now, you know, didn't happen yesterday, but it's very, very real. Now, something that did happen a, a while back is that uh, the Muslims spread out from Saudi Arabia. Uh, they conquered Persia and forced Persians to become Muslims. Persians are not Arabs, but Persians are Muslims, and they were forced at the sword by Muhammad to become Muslim. And then they started spreading west across North Africa, and they, again, uh, had very effective armies and, and deadly uh, strategies and uh, ruthlessness, and they they turned North Africa into um, Islamic regions. When they reached Gibraltar, they didn't stop. They jumped the Straits of Gibraltar and started invading Spain, and they turned every Catholic cathedral into a mosque, and the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal, went Muslim um, in the uh, early 8th century, and uh, they didn't stop there. They pushed northwards through Spain until virtually all of Spain was Muslim. And um, there had been Jews living in Spain by that time um, since uh, about the year 200. And so um, the, the Jewish community in Spain didn't do very well. Uh, when the Muslims took over, needed the Catholic, needed the Catholics, because the, in Islam there is no room for Jews or Christians. I've got to keep saying that because many people listening are going to, oh come on, who cares about that sort of thing? And yeah, a lot of people actually do. Mm -hmm. so, so, uh, that, so, so can we, can we, uh, can I get some clarification then, uh, Rabbi? I agree. I'm, I agree with everything you, you say. That's from my research. Um, but I'd like to ask you this. Why now? Why, why did, it, why did the, this conflict 
escalate. Yes. This attack on, on the Jewish state escalate. And do you believe that they, the Muslims target the Jews rather than the Christians simply because of the numbers? Because, I mean, you know, worldwide, there's what is there, 15 or 16 million people of the Jewish faith and where just in Catholicism alone, there's like 1.4 billion. Yeah. And so is, is it just well, sheer numbers or there's something else underlying there? Well, we, we actually do have to go and look and see what happened. If I can just uh, answer your question a little circuitously, but I, but I shall. Uh, and that is that um, they then they, they knew they had to take Europe was the citadel of Christianity, right? There, mm-hmm. there was no there was no America to speak of at all. We're talking about the eighth century. And um, and and so the struggle between I mean, the only thing standing in the way of a worldwide caliphate, which is the goal of Islam, where the whole world will be uh, faithful to Allah, the God Allah. And um, the only thing standing in the way is Europe, which was a citadel of Christianity. Mm. And so from Spain, they pushed into France. And the French hero, Charles Martel, stopped them at the Battle of Tours in the Pyrenees in 732. And that put an end to the Muslims' dreams of uh, of invading Europe from the West. And um, a few hundred years, it took a while before the Catholics in Spain finally got rid of the Muslims in the end, towards the end of the 15th century. They got rid of them and sent them out. They also sent the Jews out at that time. Not uh, to be obstructed, they, the, the Muslims then decided to attack Europe from the east. And they, uh, f- launching from Constantinople, they pushed through Poland and Hungary until they finally came to Vienna. That's how far they got. They got as far as Austria, and it was the year 1683. And um, they were they laid siege to uh, to Vienna, and they once Vienna fell, uh, Europe was pretty much open at that point. And so all the Christian armies of Europe got together and they raised one huge, big Christian army. And they all descended on the besieging Muslim army, which outnumbered them. It was huge. And uh, they obliterated the Muslim army at the gates of Vienna in 1683. Do you know what date that was, Bruce? Uh, No, I can't. I can't say I, I do. It know was it was a date that should resonate. It happened on September the eleventh, sixteen eighty three. Oh, okay. Now, just shortly before that, they had tried a seaborne invasion of Europe, and once again, uh, the Christian nations raised a fleet, and they finally they finally defeated the Ottoman fleet in the Gulf of uh, Lepanto, just between Greece and Italy. And they obliterated the, um, the Muslim fleet in 1571. Do you know what date that was? It should resonate. It was October the 7th. Mm. And that, I think, begins to answer your question of, of why now. You could also have said, you know, why attack America on 9-11-2001? because they felt America was weak. And they're going to have to get rid of Jews and Christians. And um, as long as America was sort of 
allying itself with Israel, then um, then it helps to harm America. And they chose as the date, seven eleventh. Uh, excuse me, the um, uh, the eleventh of September, in order to try and get revenge for the last major defeat they suffered at the gates of Vienna on the night on the eleventh of September in sixteen eighty three. These, when you have a long window of time, these dates are really, really important. We Americans stop teaching history in our government indoctrination camps. I'm sorry. I mean our public schools. Uh, we stop. <laughs> we stop teaching uh, history long ago, and so mm-hmm. we our uh, uh, young people who eventually finished school, and then they became college students, and then some of them became college professors. They have no awareness and no understanding of how seriously these dates. Are to other people, and so um, uh, when when they saw that uh, the Abraham Accords created by uh, President Trump, and we, they saw that that was spreading, and that there was a rapport beginning to develop between Saudi Arabia and Israel, and they saw that uh, Palestinians were being left out of the, uh, you know, again the American State Department nonsensically established the principle that there can never be a Middle East peace without a two-state solution for the Palestinians. Donald Trump said, why not? And a whole bunch of Gulf Arab states agreed with him, why not? And so they went ahead, and uh, and today there are more kosher restaurants in Abu Dhabi than in Kansas City. So... Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting time. So, uh, yes, uh, why exactly now? Because the attempt was to undermine the growing report between Saudi Arabia and Israel. The date had to be October the 7th because there was an unavenged defeat that the Muslims suffered. And remember that uh, to them, that is as alive now as it as it was in 1571. Uh, the, the the it's it was a real humiliation and Arabs and Muslims do not let humiliations go unavenged. So uh, uh, that's this is a titanic struggle. And uh, if you don't like me saying it's between the culture of the Quran and the twin civilizations of the Bible, then I'll say it's between barbarism and civilization because that's also true. Mm-hmm. Because. Um, the the principles of civilization spring from the pages of the Bible, whether it's uh, finance, whether it's uh, the idea of growth and development versus uh, a sense of futility and uh, and and acceptance of of the status quo. That's one of the differences between barbarism and civilization. Civilization destroys. Excuse me, barbarism destroys. Civilization builds. So. You know, if you're more comfortable saying it's a titanic struggle between barbarism and civilization that's been going on for a very, very long time, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll remember that America sent Lieutenant Stephen Decatur to beat the Barbary pirates. These were Muslim pirates who were barbarians. Mm. They And they used to enslave thousands and thousands of Christians that were freed by Lieutenant Decatur. Um, and so uh, this, this is an old, old, old struggle. And the notion that 
this is an argument over land is is preposterous. It's uh, it never has been and it isn't. Yeah, I think I think people maybe because they're trying to hope that this can change in the future. And then I think you're making a good argument that it's impossible to change unless the Muslims would actually reevaluate. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it possible that they'll go through a reformation process uh, like Catholicism did in the um, in 1500? It, it, you know, who knows? I, I'm not knowledgeable in the uh, doctrines of Islam. Um, so who knows? And that would obviously make a difference. But as th- there's certainly no indication that that's the mood. And yeah. uh, it also helps tremendously to understand what happened on October the 7th. It helps a lot to stop referring to Hamas as terrorists because it conjures up this image of a ragtag bunch of, um, you know, disorganized uh, amateurs running around with, with grenades and and C9 explosive. It's, it isn't actually. You've got to remember a very simple truth. Hamas is the legitimate government of Gaza. And this was not an attack by a, a little bunch of hooligans, while the vast majority of Gazan citizens are peace-loving uh, adherents of the doctrines of the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's not exactly how it works. And when uh, mutilated corpses of Israelis were paraded through Gaza on October the 7th on the back of pickup trucks, it's not as if there was this demonstration of Gazans showing disgust at what was being done. They celebrated. They're one people. And uh, with that understanding, uh, the idea that there's a distinction between civilians and combatants is as untrue now as it was when General Curtis LeMay firebombed Tokyo and wiped out 400,000 Japanese in one night. And uh, that was much more than, than the number of people who were killed a few months later in August with the, uh, the two atomic bombs. They killed in total less than 200,000 people. The firebombing of Tokyo alone killed double that number. These were all civilians. Or when uh, Britain destroyed Dresden and America destroyed Hamburg. These were civilians because that's how you win wars. It's brutal. It's horrible not to be celebrated. But the painful and unchangeable reality is that the guy who makes guns and bullets in the factory is every bit as much your enemy as the guy in the front lines shooting those bullets through those guns. And so it's a complete nonsensical distinction. And um, in that sense, I I totally understand. In other words, um, the the attack itself, had it been an, a, a regular military attack, it would have been an attack. I don't think the world would have been filled with such horror. The horror was the glee and delight that these people took in inflicting the most unspeakable and unimaginable atrocities. It's a, it's unnerving it's unnerving to me because I've I've actually researched and saw some of these atrocities, which is one of the I guess one of the both good and bad things of being able to have social media expose these atrocities. By the way, I strongly recommend to people that you don't do that. You know what happened? It was very bad. It was worse than you think. If you look at the pictures, you'll never be able to unsee them. You shouldn't do it. It really yeah. impacts you. It changes you, and it has an effect on you. I 
have sheltered myself and my family from those pictures. There's no point in it. Uh, Are you going to have a better idea of what happened if you see it with your eyes instead of hearing descriptions with your ears? The point is hearing doesn't impact your soul as much as seeing does. Mm. And again, I mean, there are many, many areas like pornography that prove that, for instance. I I strongly recommend I think I think that unfortunately, Rabbi, I think most people are just distrust the media now so much that they they want to see it for themselves. However, I've come across propaganda that are actually actors acting out certain things on the Palestinian side that are it's just simply propaganda. So then you can't even distinguish what's true and what's not true. Yeah, in, unless you get unless you get a, uh, a bunch of uh, videos in, in process and see the similarities that just can't possibly be true. So um, what about the, I think we both share the, uh, the test for government in general, um, but what about the Trump plan? Was there anything that the current administration did not follow up with the Trump plan that could have avoided this or did it not make any difference? Um, the um, broadcasting your weakness is always an invitation um, for aggression. And yes, I, I do. I do think the uh, shameful, pitiful, impotent weakness radiated by uh, the current administration uh, has caused a lot of challenges. I think it's very significant that uh, uh, Putin's attempt to retake Ukraine did not happen under Trump, in spite of the fact that the uh, causes behind it, the things, the events that simulated those things, um, took place in 2014 under Obama. So, um, so no, I, I think, I think, um, obviously. The um, the radiation, the radioing or, or broadcasting of, of such pathetic weakness, um, how can it not have had an impact? And that's one of the reasons that um, the administration's totally unexpected but very welcome and brave um, position uh, was so shocking to the Muslim world. Um, the positioning of... Uh, naval assets in the um, in the eastern mediterranean came as a complete shock because the presumption was that biden would behave towards this crisis in much the same way as he dealt with afghanistan basically in in a uh, craven and and uh, uninspiring manner so you know there was certain shock there and I'm, I, I must admit that I, I don't fully understand why people like Biden and people like Hillary and people like Charles Schumer and so many of the other uh, Democrats are willing to risk this tension in their own ranks to, uh, to stand with Israel at the present time. It's not something I fully understand, and that worries me. So I am, I am trying to wrap my brain around it. Yeah, I think we can just point to the fact that they want to be reelected, unfortunately. They're not standing on any values. They're just trying to be reelected. So, yeah, it, and could, it could well be. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a cynical view, but I 
I think it's a reality view. But, uh, you know, got to remember that the 1965 Immigration Reform Act, basically, uh, you know, if we could have a do-over on that, I'd recommend we do. Because what that did is uh, bring millions and millions of people into the United States who hate Jews, don't like Israel, don't like Christianity, and don't like America. Which actually brings me to a question and a thought, because when you look at what's happening in Israel, I think it would be safe to say it's not an isolated situation that's just contained to Israel and Gaza only. That no, no, this is, this is exactly the same thing as you might remember United States Army Major Nidal Malik Hassan, who in 2005... In uh, on November the fifth, I think, two thousand and five, launched an attack against U.S. soldiers on Fort Hood near Dallas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and murdered thirteen Americans. Uh, yeah, you you, you got to get used to this idea. If all the Jews on the world vanished, the war would continue. Well, then you just look at the opportunity for foreign intervention, um, more countries getting involved, the crisis escalating. You look at what's happening with open borders in the U.S. I mean, you just look at the big picture when you're when you can see the philosophical differences and the underpinnings that's like their complete worldview is destruction versus production and building. Exactly. Yeah, that seems irreconcilable. And no, it, it is. It is. And um, and <laughs> again, you know, they have such trouble with us in uh, in progressive circles. They, they really just have one of their favorite sayings is violence never solves anything. It's completely untrue. It always does. Violence resolves things. And failure to use it when necessary uh, will cause a, a civilizational collapse in the same way that it'll call a family collapse. Mm-hmm. If a family is unwilling to defend its lives and its property with force, if necessary, they will die. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very simple. There is a reason that uh, guns are flying off the shelves across America since Biden took office. It's because people do not trust government to use force in a good way mm-hmm. and so uh, people people have eyes in their heads and we all see that uh, security armed security uniformed police officers with riot shields and batons stand by and allow shopping centers to be terrorized and looted and they stand by while uh, um while in summer 2020, they stand by while rabid mobs loot and burn and destroy cities. Mm-hmm. But a church that stays open for services during COVID, oh, they see the full fierce force of law enforcement descending on them to shut down the service and cart the pastor off in handcuffs. Anytime a, the good guys use force only against their law-abiding citizens, but not against criminal barbarians, it's the end. It's all over. Yeah, and we can, 
And, you know, their justification for that is, well, they're only acting like that because of the oppression of the, of the, uh, people that are doing well and so we need to allow them well the problem the problem with that of course is that all the um negative indicators crime illegitimate children that's an old-fashioned word it means children born to a mother who's not married to the father but you're not supposed to use that word anymore because we do not stigmatize bastards and it's a it's a shame because stigma is one of the ways the society defends itself. But um, the the awkward inconvenience is that um, all the uh, social indicators, performance in school, stable marriages and family, children born to married couples, um, absence of crime involvement, all of those indicators were much better among American blacks prior to the civil rights legislation of the 60s than afterwards. So it's not as if we're looking at the results of slavery because things were much, much, much better. The number of uh, black children born to single mother households um, was less than a quarter of what it is, much less than a quarter of what it is today. Wow. Much less. Wow. And there is no more reliable indicator of poverty and eventual failure in school and showing up in the criminal justice system than being raised without a father, particularly for boys. Mm -hmm. There's no That's argument about those things. If you really cared about poor people in America, then do something about the marriage crisis. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting is if you look behind all of that, there's a Christian or Jewish belief. There's this building side of society. There's this thinking about being a producer and living as best as you can and flourishing. And actually, so I just want to pivot. We only have about 15 minutes left here. And um, a, a couple of things. One, how do we thrive in the midst of crisis yeah. and chaos? And I actually want to use uh, a verse from Jeremiah. I know Lucas shared this with you, and it's something that um, it's so funny because a, a day before Lucas sent that to me, um, I had been drawing inspiration. So please go ahead. Those verses are quite amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to share. This is Jeremiah 29. This is verse four through seven. So um, here, a letter to the exiles, Jeremiah's writing, um, and I'm not going to. I mean, to set this to set the yeah, stage, yeah. we're talking about uh, what was a far bigger calamity then than October the 7th was in our time. Uh, it was the destruction of Jerusalem. They, uh, every, the, the whole of Hebrew civilization in Israel was destroyed and they were carted off as slaves to Babylon. And now they get this instruction from Jeremiah the prophet. It's mind boggling. So here's the instruction. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what to do. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give to, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And actually our pastor just preached on this on Sunday. So really? there's just so much about this but so in the midst of all this chaos and turbulence this letter from jeremiah is saying keep living your life uh, so yeah. let's let's talk about how do we 
keep living? How do we keep prospering and pray for the city that we're in? How do we keep doing the things that we're called to do and building as producers when there's all of these um, indicators? Well, um, uh, you know, it it may sound self-promotional, but uh, please do. I'd love you to. If I didn't believe in the effectiveness of this, I wouldn't have spent so long. And I spent a long time writing this book. It was a very, very hard book to encapsulate mm-hmm. and get down, very hard. Uh, but yes, um, it's the holistic you. And um, it uh, it helps very much in this type of situation. Let me, let me explain with, and I'm not going to repeat stuff that's in the book because that's available there. And that's where the full uh, matrix of, um, not only survival, but prosperity under all circumstances uh, is laid out. But as an example, um, you know, if, if somebody were to say to me now, I'm I'm really excited, I'm starting this new business, I'm going to start manufacturing a high-end line of um, baby strollers and, uh, and changing tables and uh, car seats for infants and baby uh, paraphernalia, um, and he, what do you think he says to me? My answer to him would be, do you have any idea of what the fertility figures are in the United States? Now, most people don't because, and by the way, Bruce and, and Rachel and Lucas, try this because you're not going to believe me. So try it. Get hold of a high schooler, boy or girl, not homeschooled, Homeschool, but somebody who's educated in a GIC, in a government in, uh, indoctrination camp. I, I mean, a public school. Get somebody who, um, here we go. Yeah, talking of fertility. Um, ask them, what are the two biggest problems facing America right now? First thing they'll say is? Overpopulation. Overpopulation. Second thing? Uh, wealth disparity. Climate, climate. I was going to say climate. Oh, yeah. That was going to be my third one. Yeah, right. (laughs) Those are the two biggies. Too many people and climate change. The actual big threat facing America is uh, diminishing population. You you need to just hold population steady. You need um, a fertility figure of 2.1 children per woman on average. Um, But that isn't good enough, by the way. That's already a crisis. America's fertility rate is how much? Anybody know or guess? I think, I think it's 1.6. You are absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Very few people know that. Um, um, Japan, 1.3. Korea, 1.2. Uh, it, it, the Western world is suffering from, and why this is a problem, I explain, and I don't want to take the time now, but trust me for the moment, because you can research this yourself very easily. It's a huge problem. A declining population and an aging population is a huge problem. Really, I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm laughing because people are so stupid about this. It's, it's really, really serious. and. Um, and so I'd say to the person, look, with America's uh, fertility rate to 2.1, excuse me, 1.6. By the way, anyone know what Israel is? Got to be like three or more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's over three. And that's not just, that's Arabs, by the way, are Israeli Arabs are lower. And it's not just religious Orthodox Israelis. 
children, families of three or four children are perfectly normal among all segments of Israeli society. Um, apropos of that, I'll tell you one other thing you don't know, and you'll love to know this. Um, in 1945, there were refugee camps called DP camps, displaced people camps. Um, Jews who were rescued from the death camps were put into these DP camps while the nations of Europe try to figure out what to do with them. Like, they weren't that many, but England, that was who was running Palestine, didn't want them in Palestine. Um, Roosevelt uh, in America didn't want them in America. And so what are you doing with these Jews? So these Jews were stuck in DP camps. Um, there was one in Cyprus. They were all around Europe. And... Um, and here's the fascinating thing. Where in the Western world was the fertility rate highest in all the countries of the world in the Jewish DP camps? People wow. who stared hell in the face, people who had lived through unimaginable horror, were marrying and having children in the DP camps. And I, as, a, as a young uh, student, I remember meeting many, many couples in America and in Israel um, who had married in DP camps or people whose parents had married in DP camps. So uh, it's, um, you know, everyone's, oh, we need more government provided childcare. That will build up fertility. No, but actually, what? It's a matter of religion. It's not, it's a matter of faith. It is not a matter of economics. At any rate, I'd say to this person, so with America's uh, fertility rate at 1.6 or maybe 1.7 at best, um, you're starting a child, uh, an infant care company. That doesn't make sense. You have to look at what's going on around you. You can't operate in a bubble. Um, right now, if you told me you were going into a security, you were going to start a security company providing safety and security in, in some way or another, I'd say now you're talking because I know that Americans are feeling fearful because every single time I stop in and I, if I'm on the road somewhere and I see an interesting looking um, gun store, I stop in because I always meet interesting people there. They're always packed out with young families, young mothers, black people, white people, all law-abiding people today do not trust government to protect them from the bandits and the hoodlums. So if you want to start a business in that area, I say, okay, that makes a little more sense. My point is that um, using these principles of ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, my folks have been making good money in bad times as in good times. And they've been doing that in tyrannical regimes like the Soviet Union just as they have been doing it in wonderful and hospitable countries uh, like the United States. So uh, regardless of what's going on, it is possible to make money, but you've got to know what you're doing. Hello? You've got to know. And, um, and you've got to be aware. You've got to pay attention. And the, the guiding principle that I teach is that the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And using that permanent principle of ancient Jewish wisdom to sift through the newspaper headlines and to sift through the social media and to sift 
through statements of politicians and statements of business leaders um, enable us to prosper, basically, to not just survive, but to do a lot better than surviving. Well, I love how in the book that you really talk about being a complete person. And it's it's the same concept. I'm going to just share something from your book. You talk about integrating faith, family, friendships, fitness, and finances, and flourishing in all of these areas, not just in one, which is a really parallel idea to a gentleman that we follow as well, Jay Hughes, who talks about what true wealth is. And it's the five forms of capital, which is not only financial capital, but it's also your personal capital, your intellectual capital, your social capital, your spiritual capital, and your relationship correct. capital. Yeah, correct. And so it's it's this idea that you, in order to flourish, you need to flourish on all of these fronts. And the way to do it is to keep living your life and keep making progress in each of these areas. And I would, I would um, support you in the idea that looking back and honoring the past and looking forward and thinking about how we can help generations ahead of us prosper and flourish as well. Looking at that whole timeline and and truly um, desiring to flourish in all those areas is really what's going to allow us to prosper. No, that that's exactly right. And, um, uh, you know, one of the um, disturbing statistics in the United States is the rise of... Um, the number of people undergoing mental treatment, the the rise in anxiety and so on. And one of the things that uh, is simply not spoken about, but the data is unmistakable on this, and that is uh, it's people who are isolated for the, uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that uh, we teach, and, and I know this is an important part of your business, um, is that uh, you cannot separate finance from family and friendships mm-hmm. it's it's all part of the overall picture and i, I quote the american psychologist uh, william james in the book who who just put it so beautifully in much the same way you did rachel now which is that uh, uh, that our money is the sum total of of all these different parts of our lives really important to understand that but uh, in order to flourish financially, you've, your head's got to be straight. And to have your head straight, you need friendship and you need family. And to have family, you need to have money. And to have money, you, you, you know, all these things interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so my goal in struggling on this book, which I'm now very happy with, but uh, as I say, it was very, very hard for me. Uh, but but my goal was to provide a roadmap to that kind of totality of life. Mm. Well, thank you for the work that you do. I'm just going to uh, let you know as well and just broadcast our thanks to you for the work that you do, not only in the books that you've written, uh, to name a few, there's Thou Shall Prosper. Um, yes, Business Secrets of the Bible. You've read another one, I believe. The Holistic You. I'm yes. sure you have further ones. Um, we've been listening to some of your broadcasts that you do as well in the Happy Warriors. Um, we just love the work that you're doing. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you very continuing much. Continuing to just share wisdom that is extremely relevant. And I said it this way in the introduction, but that it's ancient wisdom that's tirelessly relevant to the turmoil of today. And it's true because the oldest principles that are 
that have been truth always will continue to be true and continue to allow us to navigate the future. Thank you. I, I very much appreciate your kind words, and I appreciate uh, your friendship more than you can imagine. And uh, I appreciate the the business you've built and the service you provide to so many people um, who are, you know, financially literacy is uh, is a problem. And um, there are there are such important things that one can do in order to handle one's money more effectively. And uh, this is a specialty of your company. So I, I, I greatly appreciate you making these brilliant concepts and simple things that people can do, making that available to so many people, because the more people who prosper, the better it is for all of us. Well, thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show again today. Uh, it's been too long since we had you before. So um, we would just love to keep uh, a standing opening for you to be able to come. Well, thank you very much thoughts. indeed. And I'm sure you noticed that when you invited me, I didn't say, <laughs> well, I may have a slot in January. <laughs> you know, I said, how about next week? Yes. So, uh, well, I appreciate that. And we appreciate and I, I love conversations with you, although I have a feeling that I may have done a little too much of the talking in this one. So I'll try and hold back a bit next time. No, we want to uh, hear from you. Yeah, Rabbi, I can always uh, turn the conversations towards me at any time I wanted to, but I wanted you to share your ex wisdom and experience with our audience um, because this, I, you know, I, I made this comment um, several times to people that want to listen is the reason those values have been around so long, it's because they work. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not uh, rocket science and all of a sudden it really isn't. the new way of doing things. Oh, I figured it out. Oh, you figured it out. These people have been doing it for 3000 years. Mm. I think they got, I, I think they have it down. Yeah. It's worked pretty well. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on again. And we look forward to it every time you do. A great pleasure. A great pleasure. Well, we're thanks gonna share. Yes, thank you. So we're going to share the link in the show notes for where they can get the book. But can you just share that here during the broadcast for anyone who's listening? How can they uh, well, get a copy my, of the my website, of course, is rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, obviously, the, the, the book and all our books are available there. Uh, also are available um study courses on bible and then the book is obviously available at your favorite bookseller are they advertisers with on your show they they are not but that's okay well, then i'm not going to mention them by name um <laughs> okay. but uh the book's available anywhere it's called uh, the holistic you thanks very much indeed guys it was a pleasure to be with you again thanks for having me Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. And in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside.